from KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and BikeTalk.org worldwide. This is Bike Talk. Hey, Nick. Hey, Seamus. Hey, Taylor. Hey, guys. How are you? Bonjour, Lindsay. <laughs> hi, everyone. And hi, Madeline. How you doing? I'm good. It's nice to be on one of these. Yeah, it's so good to have you here. Madeline came on to help us unpack a uh, listener email. You want to say? Uh, I interviewed Jamie Fisher for an episode two weeks ago, and she was researching Strava data. We'll come back to what Strava is. But we got an email from a listener who's asking uh, about that that segment and saying uh, that they're a commuter and touring and sport rider in Detroit. And they were just wondering about this idea of using a subset of Strava data as opposed to the entire data set um, and maybe potentially throwing out data from certain groups of people in Strava and why that's relevant and how this all has to do with, you know, getting recreational riders uh, interested in advocacy and, and using their data. They worded it way more strongly than that. The title. Enough with trash talking mammals already. Enough with trash talking mammals already. And does everybody know what a mammal is? I actually don't. So that would be a good place to start. It's a middle-aged man in Lycra, <laughs> which which I'm a proud member of. <laughs> You're our token. Yeah. <laughs> now, so, Seamus wears Lycra. I wear a bib, but I wear normal clothes on top of it. Yeah, so do I. Rick, I, I got cycling shorts for the first time in like 10 years of biking last year. I have a pair of cycling shorts. I, I feel like when I imagine mammals, it's like, they have the shirts with logos from some bike club or something like that on them. You know, the Dutch term for the two different types of people on bikes, there's the feetser, which is like person who's just fast walking. And then there's the wheel runners who are like the mammals, basically. <laughs> I love that. They're out there on the weekend. They got their toe clips. They're going fast. Right. You wouldn't ski in blue jeans anymore. So if you're going to go out for a long bike ride, you got to wear, you know, bike clothes. It's just much more comfortable. I think that there is bike clothing and then there are mammals. I think the category is people who cycle for pleasure and exercise and then people who just want to go do an errand on a bike and they need a stand-up bike. I mean, I'm that category. I'd love a trike, a cargo bike. I An e-boost is fabulous. I, I want to use it for a practical way to get where I'm going without changing my clothes. So, I mean, your point is really well taken. You wouldn't ski in jeans, but you also don't ski to go to your groceries. <laughs> so how do you bring these two groups together? Because we all actually want the same thing, which is low car, no car streets. We want places where we can get where we're going without getting killed by a car, whether it's for exercise or it's practical. With Strava or with navigation apps, you get a breakdown of different kinds of people and, and that there's this usefulness. And, and maybe this is what comes up in the email that I think is useful. It's like when we start using the term mammal, we're getting into attitudes towards cycling. I, I ride huge distances and I don't consider myself a mammal. This person objected to the fact that Jamie Fisher, who was using Strava data to make bike maps about who bikes, was not using just the overall Strava all users sample because it skewed too much to a certain type of cyclist, which is people who ride for fitness, men, white men, not representative of, of a diverse kind of cyclist. So this person thought that this was anti, I guess, white male fitness cyclist. Yeah. 
And I think the really important distinction is that the reason to use a subset of the data as opposed to the whole data set is really a super practical choice based on the actual ground truth counts like from an automatic city counter. So the way you decide which subset is the most representative is you look at the city counters and you just say which part of the Strava data correlates best with the total count. And in some cases, not every case, but in many of the cases that Jamie was talking about, the subset of Strava users that is women. And to be clear, these are not just people, you know, cycling for transportation. Women ride recreationally as well. Um, but that sample was more representative of all the people that are being counted on those segments. It's not, you know, an ideological choice in any way. It's really based on just trying to represent everybody who's biking. And this is, again, because we're talking about things like cities planning their bike infrastructure, wanting to know where people are biking, and they really want to know where do, you know, the real population bike. And if your sample is really skewed in one direction, it's not to say you can't use that data, but you just have to be aware of that. Mammals, they're extremely risk tolerant, I think is the term, because they ride with cars. In a way, they're very unrepresentative of the average people. When we talk about people that bike, you know, mammals on Saturday and Sunday or, you know, Tuesday or Thursday morning when they meet with a group, which I've done often, and it is a blast to ride with a group of people that are all taking the sport seriously. We get into little mini Tour de France pelotons with, you know, people pulling at the front and, and then you kind of go to the back and rest and work your way up. And, you know, those people do ride and they do ride on our roads. So I understand his viewpoint about we should include that information. But Madeline, I also understand you about, well, that's not the information of the kind of infrastructure that we need because they're riding in a risky manner in the sense that they are on the main road um, with cars, but they're in a group of 30 people. You can do something called a neuropsych evaluation that you do them a lot for like kids with um, learning issues. And you actually can measure like how people deal with fear. I love mammals. I have many friends who bike and cycle um, and I want it to be safe for them, but their brains probably process fear very differently than 99% of people. And we know that right from the Roger Geller study. Was surveys of adult willingness to ride in different conditions? Yeah. The Portland study that Roger Geller did put people into basically four categories. 1% are totally risk tolerant. 8% can deal with some risk. And then you get, you know, up to like 60 to 80 to 90% of people want to bike, do not want risk in their lives. I don't engage in any behavior that could threaten my life other than frankly, getting in a car. That's the only thing I do. And then you get like, you know, somewhere between 10, 20% of people just don't want to get on a bike. I feel like it's worth mentioning too. Like Taylor said, a lot of these rides are group rides. And so it's really different when you're biking on what would be a dangerous road otherwise with a group. Like I've gone on group advocacy rides on dangerous roads. And when you're with a group, it's just not at all the same experience as biking there alone. There's that aspect too of whether or not the road would be appropriate for biking alone is different than whether it's good for biking with a group. Right. So to summarize, we are friends to mammals. Totally. Oh, we, of course. we want to include them in our fight. Absolutely. And Jamie said in, in her interview that, you know, recreational riding is super important and it's something that is good for health and people do it for their health and well-being. And that's something that the city wants to encourage as well. Well, thank you for coming on, Madeline. And we look for your next Toronto interviews. I mean, they don't have to be Toronto specific. Just Canada. I have a radius 
It covers part of the U.S. too. Oh, okay. <laughs> international. In, that's right. <laughs> Our international correspondent, Madeline Bonsma Fisher. Thanks, everyone. So, sorry, guys. What is Strava? Strava just geolocates you and it and it helps you map where you're riding, keep track of your miles, keep track of your how many calories you burn, what kind of exertion. It's an app on your phone that records your ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's pretty cool also because it tells you who's the fastest person who has gone up this one hill in your town, in your city. So you can kind of compete against other riders while not actually riding with them, but they just have a time on that climb or on that section of road. And it also has a a feature like a heat map, which you can activate and it'll show you which routes you use the most and things like that. I like Strava. On another note, the New York Times actually did a really cool story just the other day comparing the Strava times for the Tour de France riders climbing certain rides in Europe with regular mammals, actually. They're hardcore mammal cyclists. I'm not sure they were all men, but it was really interesting to see the different times of the pros and then the people that are just sports cyclists. Once again, for our casual listener, mammals, middle-aged men in Lycra. It's funny that I'm a bike activist and I don't know this. Yeah, I don't think Strava is designed for bike activism. You know, the pejorative nature of the term mammal is that it's not about, it doesn't define cyclists who are who are interested in necessarily street safety. It is a mindset of, I'm going to get in shape. Maybe some folks would refer to it as toxic masculinity or something like that. I don't think of myself as a mammal, but I use Strava. The community of Bike Talk and what we're trying to do is to bring these two communities together. You know, the mammals said with love and respect and, you know, the feetsers, people like me who I just want to get on a beach cruiser, you know, with a big basket on the back and maybe a trike, maybe an e-boost. You know, middle-aged men in Lycra is a pejorative term, not good for the entire bike community to use the term, in my opinion, because like it implies... Those folks aren't interested in improving city infrastructure. They're men who, or or women who will put their bike on the back of a car, drive to the mountains outside of the city, outside of the urban centers and ride there. And then they'll come, they'll come back, but they're not going to necessarily advocate for the healthy streets initiative in Los Angeles or congestion pricing in New York. That's why Bike Talk is important for two reasons. One, to bring that group of cyclists into our world, waking them up to see how insane this built environment is that we have all this parking, all these highways splitting apart neighborhoods. I just had the best weekend with um, four of my high school friends. And believe me, I was in high school a long time ago. And we met in northern Michigan. And these guys are not mammals, nor are they feasters. They're just athletic guys that still want to go out and do something fun. And we went on a three-day bike trip around the Leelanau Peninsula of Michigan, which is that upper west coast of Michigan. And I was able to talk to them about the world environment that we were seeing, the streets and the trails. And the minute we got on bike trails and we got away from cars, the world opened up. I have a lot of interviews with um, other cyclists on the trail and my friends, but that's why I think bike talk is important, is to wake people up to see the insanity that is around them and realize I don't have to drive my bike 
to ride my bike. I can ride from home. Let's hear that interview. Hey, I'm here with Chuck Percy, who's a volunteer for the Leelanau Trail System. It's in northern Michigan. The TART Trails. What does TART stand for, Chuck? Uh, Traverse Area Recreational Trails. It's an organization that came together from five or six different separate trails that came together under a single umbrella. And so it manages quite a number of trails in the Traverse City area and has some involvement with also the Sleeping Bear Heritage Trail. The particular trail you're on today, the Leelanau Trail, it was a rails to trails situation. Right, right, sure. The land was purchased back in the mid to late 90s. And over time, it's finally developed into the trail that you see today. It's a car-free, it's about 10 foot wide paved trail. As a volunteer, what are you doing? A little bit of everything. My background is forestry. Oh, wow. So I tend to get involved with the trees quite a bit. We were just working on taking down some uh, scrub box elder that was actually a visual block for oh, safety. Right, right. So people could see the cars coming, and particularly with the hills on this particular intersection. Right. The trail crosses many roads. There's always stop signs and markings where it is, but it's completely car-free. It's just a, it's a treat to ride on. Michigan looks like your right-hand mitten, and we're up in the tip of your pinky. Yeah, and that's Leelanau County, just north of Traverse City. Correct. Yeah. Well, thanks for all the work you do on the trail, and thanks for being on Bike Talk. Oh, no problem. We ran into it to a couple of sisters who are on e-bikes on the on the trail, and your all's names are Debbie and Diane. And what are y'all doing on the trail? I'm from Virginia, and I came because my mom just turned a hundred. But you came out to the Leelanau Trail yes. to get a a day in on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no cars. That's the best part. No, that's the yes. Best part. Well, uh, my brother lives in Reed City. Um, he only lives a block from the bike trails. So you can go north, south, east, and west there. There is more than one trail here. There's a whole bunch of trails that kind of intersect, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah, it's very nice. A... Michigan's great for their bike trails. Perfect. <laughs> nice talking Tune to in to guys. Bike Talk and you'll hear yourself. Hey, we're on the um, Leelanau Trail with a couple of volunteers. And you said there's a couple hundred bikes coming up the trail. What, what, yeah, what's going on? A, there's an event called the Tour de Tarte. Here. And what are you doing here today? Well, we're doing a little volunteering, trying to help people cross uh, one of the few pinch points on the trail where we cross what is called Center Highway. It's right. Yeah, you can hear the cars in the background. Indeed, yeah. It's nothing like, like Los Angeles, but it's a fairly uh, busy <laughs> rural uh, inland highway here. Right. And the group that's coming up is what? Well, so this is an annual uh, bike tour that benefits the TART trail system. Raising money and getting awareness out there, starting in Traverse City, ending up in Sutton's Bay, Michigan. There'll be uh, drinks uh, and uh, food right on so the bay. So we, we are going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's true, yeah. So, but you'll hopefully pass a whole yeah. bunch of people coming up enjoying the trail. And do you ride a bike a lot? ride a bike all the time. There's lots of people who just really ride. And if you live in Traverse City, Michigan, it's a great bike town. And how about winter riding? Oh, tons of winter riding. Yeah, a lot yeah. of fat bike riding. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you'll see on this particular track, you'll see uh, cross-country ski trails for classic skis, uh, the racing type of skis, and then lots of fat bike uh, tire tracks. Right. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for manning the crossing and thanks for all the help we're on the trail. The so we're, we're at, I think, mile eight on a ride. What ride are y'all doing? The Tour de Tarte. And what's your name? Get our gear. <laughs> My name is Bridget. Bridget. I'm Jen. Jen. I'm Beth. Beth. Sally. Hey, and how many miles are y'all doing? 
whatever it is. I think it's what, 19? 17? 19 miles. And then are you turning around and coming back? What are you doing? No. Then we're hanging out at the beach, right? Oh. Yeah. yeah and do you have dinner. hotels or what do you... Oh, you, no. We'll ride back to, to Traverse on City. On a bus to Traverse City. Oh, on yes. a bus yeah. to Traverse City. Oh, right. And this is to support this trail that we're on now, the Leelanau Trail? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And do you guys think that trails like this get more people riding bikes on a regular basis, like to the store or your kids to school or something like that? Or is this just oh, recreational? Absolutely. Yeah, they yeah? definitely absolutely. try to encourage that. And so you're just out here supporting the trails today. We, yeah. Yeah. we used to do this um, with our kids when they were little on sure. tagalongs and everything. Yeah. And it was one of the highlights of the summer. So we have a friend in town. And, and we thought, well, let's just have a girls' trip tonight. Yeah, so, perfect. Yeah. yeah, we have kind of a guys' trip going on. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And so if we're at mile eight, you have... 10 more miles, something like that? Yeah, yeah. probably. Okay. Yeah. One more food stop before we get... We missed that. We did. Yeah. I didn't see it. Oh, no, we have one coming. One yeah, so we're we coming south. Backwards. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do we do? Promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we... So you put your bikes on a bus or something? Or a yeah, there's a moving truck oh, that takes your bike, and then oh, after you're done handy. with dinner and having a beer or something, then you get on a school bus, and then they take you back. Perfect. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds good. Did you have the dinner already then? No. No. We're, no, uh, we're just riding on our own. Yeah. Yeah, we're riding on our own. Our friend okay. just lives right. in Traverse City, so yeah. we're staying with gotcha. him yeah. for the weekend. And it makes such a difference to be on the trail yeah. here where there's no cars yes. and people come and go. Just and so. Yeah. Very well, few crossings, which is nice. Well, thanks very much. Have a safe ride. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Have One of the things I love about riding with a group of people is that you can you know, ride all together or you can separate and ride, you know, a couple of people here and a couple of people there, or you can ride off on your own. And I was riding over the weekend with a group of friends up in Michigan in the Leelanau Peninsula, and we rode on a trail and on the roads. And um, I'm here with Tim Young. <laughs> what was your favorite thing about the ride? Seeing the beauty of Michigan, the Leelanau Peninsula is spectacular. Highly recommend it to any biker for a great weekend ride. Jim Lammers, what was your favorite thing about the ride? And also, what was the difference in riding on a trail and riding on the road? Yeah, I thought there was a big difference between uh, being on a trail and on the road. Much preferred the trail for the yeah. obvious reasons. You know, on the road, most a lot of the time we were single file, especially on the busiest roads. There were some that were not were country heavy, roads, that were right. not heavily trafficked, and they were great. Yeah. But um, really liked being able to talk with my fellow bikers, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. that was wonderful. Dan Zick, the host of the weekend. It had so much fun. The, the biggest value was just being with childhood friends and laughing all the way. Uh, hilarious weekend. Feels like I, I had an ab workout every single day. <laughs> from laughing, from not, laughing, not from biking. Yeah. And uh, the, the Traverse City area called the Tart Trails has done a fabulous job on converting rails to trails and the trail from Sutton's Bay into Traverse City I never wanted it to end it's absolutely gorgeous yeah it really is it was beautiful yeah and I would just add all five of us have traveled a lot both um, domestically and internationally in this part of Michigan is Tim said it it is stunning yeah it's a perfect time of year perfect weather it's it's just absolutely stunning. Yeah, Bill Stapleton. So one thing I was struck by is, particularly on the trails, is the number of bikes that we saw on yeah. the trail, and especially from from Sutton Bay to Traverse City, hundreds yeah. of bikers, yeah. and it's just a testament to what an, an a great idea the rails to trails. Yeah, rails is. to trails. That's exactly right. 
Well, we, we had a great trip and, and uh, the, the mix of trails and roads and country roads and, and we got lost at one point and, you know, you kind of explore and find new things. So I, I, I highly recommend this idea of getting with a group of friends and doing a short bike trip. We just did yeah. three days was all. We probably covered 150 miles, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So thanks to Dan Zick, our yeah. host. Yeah. Thanks to Northern Michigan. And uh, here's to friendship. That's right. Yeah. You're here. You're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks. We had such a good time, you guys. I can't recommend enough the idea of doing a, a short three-day bike trip with old friends. It was, I don't know, magical. And the people you met are also having a similar time. Yeah. Now we have an interview with an EMT in Jersey City. His name is Tyler Newcomb. He talks about his transition to bike advocate. And I have Stacy Randerker on who you've interviewed, Taylor. Yeah, a couple times. Stacy had her own run in with an EMT and a, a bike lane that was blocking a bike lane. And it went viral just because of her, what seemed like an over the top reaction to having an emergency vehicle blocking the bike lane. You're killing us. I don't think people understand, Nick, when they block a bike lane, they are forcing the person riding the bike to merge left into a moving lane of traffic where the cars are going, you know, quite a bit faster. It's really a dangerous situation. It's almost better to just block the traffic lane and let the cyclist go on through in the bike lane. It's for sure better to block the traffic lane. That's what they should do. And that should be the standard, in my opinion. Here is this interview with Tyler Newcomb, EMT, bike advocate. I wanted to talk to you today about your story, about how you turned into a safe streets advocate, and but also why it should be surprising that an EMT would be a safe streets advocate. Well, so an EMT is a like a paramedic? So yeah, an, an EMT is an emergency medical technician. In most of the US, an EMT is kind of the entry level for uh, being on an ambulance, and then a paramedic is a higher level of care. Where I am, EMTs respond to 911 calls and you know work on an ambulance as normal. They kind of work in a team. And so a lot of times fire departments and probably also ambulances are used to hold up a safe streets infrastructure and street calming. People who are opposing probably just an increase in their commute times are trying to claim that Emergency vehicles response times are slowed down and a lot of fire departments enable that. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's hard to blame people who hear all this information and, and kind of get defensive about that. Is that the case in Jersey City? Do you find that tension between the emergency response um, oh, people yeah. and safe streets people? I've been pushing back on it a little bit, you know, to the best of my ability. We recently had an ordinance for uh, turning a two-way street into a one-way street in the Journal Square area of Jersey City, uh, for anyone who might be familiar with that. Uh, mm-hmm. the uh, I believe he was retired at the time. Fire chief came out and said that it would impede emergency vehicle response times, specifically fire engine response times, which is it was misinformed at best and, and bad faith at worst. You know, that misinformation can can cause a lot of people to really be opposed to infrastructure improvements that would actually improve response times and reduce traffic and uh, improve communities. 
Stacy's had a lot of trouble with these arguments in San Francisco, right, Stacy? Yes. Is this everywhere? I mean, you've worked in Boston, um, Jersey City. So is this like just generally accepted practice? Like if you are working for the fire department, working um, for emergency medical response, that you are taught more or less to oppose bike lanes. I mean, is is that the way it is? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's taught. You know, it's sort of de facto the culture. And I think a lot of that like I said, just comes from the misinformation. Most people who work in, you know, EMS or work for fire departments are going to be driving to work pretty much no matter where you are. Uh, And I think there's just this impression that these infrastructure changes are going to worsen traffic and are going to worsen response times. Maybe it would help if you tell your story. It's such a great story about your transformation. I became an EMT uh, in late 2018. I think I started working in January of 2019. Um, And at the time I drove an SUV, I was just pretty ambivalent to safe streets changes and infrastructure didn't really pay much attention to it. At times was probably even a little bit skeptical of uh, like bike lanes and the like. And from the get-go as an EMT, I, I responded to a lot of crashes. One of my first memorable crashes was a drunk driver who slammed into a school bus in a rotary. And at the time, I kind of pushed that to to the blame of the driver's side and, you know, kind of thought of it more as an enforcement problem. I had this idea that, you know, this one person made this bad mistake and injured other people and they should be held accountable. And then over time, just responding to more and more crashes, started to realize a little bit more that some of these were preventable and some of these mistakes or bad decisions that were made were actually the result of poor infrastructure uh, and poor influence from the environment around. When I moved down to Jersey City in 2021, Jersey City had the worst year for traffic fatalities, I believe that's ever been recorded. There were 16 deaths uh, and countless other injuries, um, including a woman who had to have a leg amputated after a car went up on the sidewalk and pinned her against a storefront. You know, some of the more memorable ones, I arrived first on scene to a multiple car crash where there was a patient in cardiac arrest, a patient who was not breathing on their own, a patient with an arterial bleed, and then a few other patients who uh, had some more minor injuries. Finally, in November, I responded to a crash where a woman was hit by a car that ran the red light as she was crossing the street, trying to get to her synagogue. And that was, you know, very bothersome to me, just seeing her on the street, her entire religious community surrounding her. So following up on that, a couple of days later, I was looking around trying to see whether she had survived, what her... Um, condition was and came across Safe Streets Jersey City posting that she had died from her injuries. Did a little bit more digging around uh, their Facebook page and found that there was a World Day of Remembrance ride uh, that would refresh the ghost bikes in our area. And it was starting just about a block from my house. So on a whim, I uh, went to this ride, started to talk to these people and, and you know, really started to realize a little bit more um, that people cared about these sorts of things and they were working really hard to prevent unnecessary crashes and deaths and injuries and 
got more involved and just wanted to be a part of that. So, you know, like you mentioned, now I'm on the boards of Bike JC and Safe Streets Jersey City and still working to make Jersey City a, a safer place to, to be as a pedestrian or as a cyclist or as a transit rider. In 2022, we did not have a single traffic death on city controlled roads in Jersey City. Uh, we had a death on a county controlled ro- road and we had a couple deaths on state controlled roads, but that was really incredible progress uh, to see. And, you know, that's kind of the reason that I keep working towards this. 16 to zero? Correct. Yeah. And what- not all of the 16 were on uh, city controlled streets. I don't know off the top of my head what number were on city controlled uh, versus county okay. versus state, but it was a really dramatic reduction. What do you attribute that to? A lot of bike lanes going in in 2021 really helped it. You know, towards the end of 2021 and in the beginning of 2022, there was really a lot of progress made that kind of set the summer of 2022 up for some safer streets. Quite frankly, some, you know, traffic from construction kind of helped things as well, like narrowed lanes, slowed people down a little bit. There was enough construction going on that it affected the road patterns and, you know, narrowed them. Is the construction still going on? Jersey City is always under construction. There's a whole, there's a lot going on here. Oh, that's um, true. You guys actually build housing in Jersey City, as a we do, to. we do, <laughs> we try at least. <laughs> there is some pushback. But. As an EMT, people who I guess maybe identify with their cars might take your voice more seriously. Do you find that you have more credibility when you're talking to people who are not already safe streets advocates? It really kind of varies. I've definitely kind of butted heads with uh, some people in the fire department who are very opposed to infrastructure improvements, but I've found that elected officials are a little bit more willing to at least hear me out. Just with the general public, there's a little bit more credibility as well. And and how, what is that dynamic like? Because I know that for anyone that speaks out in San Francisco, um, that is a part of um, the very few that live in within San Francisco and work for the fire department, that it has been rough going for them. The department doesn't look kindly on any of their own advocating for safer streets. Have you had any pushback on that? Um, I haven't had any pushback within uh, the ambulance service that I work for, uh, which I'm pretty grateful for. In fact, uh, most people that I work with are are pretty understanding. Back when I was full-time, I sold my full-time partner on getting an e-bike, and he's now about to purchase his third uh, and uses it for almost all of his trips. You know, with the people who I immediately worked with, there was a lot of of understanding and a lot of willingness to, to change their thinking a little bit. Within the city, on a broader scale, I haven't really received a ton of like backlash or, or hate, so to speak, from the fire department or from the police departments. There's been a little tension at, you know, community meetings and at council meetings. But other than that, it's been pretty civil. What has been a counter argument to those who say that traffic calming makes it hard for emergency vehicles to get through? One of the examples I always like to use is infrastructure that can actually be used by emergency vehicles to bypass traffic. So one of the best examples for that is bus lanes. Um, If you have exclusive bus lanes, a fire engine or an ambulance can get in there and, you know, just get by traffic so much quicker than they would with 
any number of car lanes, as we know, uh, induced demand just makes traffic worse. And then uh, just pointing out to people that, you know, every time we're impeded, like anytime we get stuck in traffic and we can't get anywhere, we're not being blocked by bikes. We're not being blocked by people. We're being blocked by cars. You know, people and bikes can move out of the way really quickly. I encountered one of Bike JC's night rides while I was working on the ambulance and they were across the entire width of the road. Uh, and as I came through, they were just really easy to part the sea. And it was pretty seamless for me to just be able to move right through that crowd because they're so much smaller and they're so much fluid and you can communicate much better when you're outside of a car. These examples, I like, I love to use the New York city example where they will use the bike lanes and then when they have a bi-directional bike lane, what do you think we can do to sort of change the hearts and minds of emergency response staff? It's definitely an uphill battle. I don't know that there are any magic words or phrases that, you know, are going to work hundred percent of the time. I think a lot of the times it's, you know, it comes down to just being willing to sit down with people and have these conversations. Ideally, if you can get kind of some city council members, the traffic department and the fire department all in the same room uh, and just have that conversation and work through those challenges, you know, for example, if you're going to close a street down to car traffic and make it a pedestrian plaza, you know, what infrastructure can be put in there? Is it mountable curbs? Is it uh, retractable bollards? Is it removable bollards? You know, is there some way where we can still preserve that emergency vehicle access while making the street safer and more enjoyable for everyone else as well. I think it's just chipping away at it a little bit at a time as well. Uh, like I mentioned, I kind of converted my partner to be a, an e-bike rider. My supervisor is about to buy a folding bike, uh, says he's basically had it with traffic and wants to ride a bike to work. Getting those people out on two wheels and getting them to kind of experience it really helps as well. Do you ride a bike? I do. Yeah. I have um, way too many, as my partner would tell you. Do you and ride to work? I do. Yeah, I, I don't own a car. My boyfriend owns a car. You know, we use it occasionally, but for the most part, all of my travel within Jersey City is by bike or or walking. Trying to relate to them. If you look at this sea of cars that is blocking us when we need to get places, if we could magically transform them into bikes, wouldn't it be easy for us to get to every call? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tyler. Breath of fresh air on social media. hundred uh, percent. Thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. If there's anyone else out there who's a first responder in any field and wants to kind of discuss tactics on how to, how to use this position to, to kind of push forward, I would really appreciate connecting with them and talking more. And what's your handle? You're mostly on Twitter. Tyler Newcomb underscore. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So Tyler is a force for bike advocacy for street safety in Jersey City. And now we know. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, I love that. Amazing. Now for something on the lighter side. <laughs> we, we have lit riders from Los Angeles area, a group that rides lit up bikes at night with all kinds of LEDs and screens and sound systems. And we also have our friend from Detroit, Rio Ramsey who does the same thing there. It's like a subculture. I didn't know that. I mean, you must have seen lit up bikes at night. I yeah, have, yeah. Definitely a different culture than, than mammals. 
<laughs> You're right. It's like night and day. You are on a roll. I don't know how I'm doing this. If you want to know more about it, here it is. I'm Jay Teresi from the Lit Riders Bicycle Club. And April Stom, also with Lit Riders. And I'm Rio Ramsey. I own RK Mobile 313. And I'm also the founder of Motown Trailblazers Bicycle Club. I think I've talked to you before, right, Rio? We meet maybe at Critical Mass? Not Critical Mass, but I know oh. Marissa Mays. Marissa's came to Detroit. She taught me how to install lights. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we love Marissa. Oh, yeah. I told her I want to come out there to California. You know, fellowship with y'all. Absolutely. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Oh, yeah. So let's back up a little bit. And is this kind of a genre of ride? What would you call it? The lit rides? Yeah. So basically, we do a bunch of rides every month. We support a bunch of different people. We kind of started riding like in community rides in Venice. We all met together and we've been riding together for about a year. And then we decided to kind of just start our own club after going to OBC in Las Vegas and seeing all the clubs together and camaraderie and things like that. And we're like, oh, we need to identify ourselves because we were always riding around and we had LEDs on our bikes, but we weren't a name. Yeah, we didn't have our own name. So we kind of formed Lit Riders, but we do a bunch of rides. We have our own rides. We do on the second Saturday of the month. It's our Hollywood Nights ride. And we just promote safe cycling at night and being lit and loud. So people can actually hear us and see us. And you mentioned OBC. You want to talk about what that is? Oh, so OBC is one big club. It's in Las Vegas. They usually have it every year. They didn't have it this year. They didn't have a venue. But we had it last year and we went there and it's just a huge, huge gathering of cyclists from literally all over the world come in and fly their bikes all the way to Las Vegas. It's like a seven day event and there's rides every day and night. And they have a big bike show and things like that. So it's a good way for the biking community to come together and kind of have fun and ride in Vegas. But it's a certain kind of biking community. I mean, it's not like road bikers. It's all, all types bikers. of bikes. Oh, it all, is. Yeah. It's open to everybody. All cyclists. Yeah. Shoot. They had wooden e-bikes at OBC. They have all walks of life of bikes at that place. It was really fun. Wow. Wooden mm -hmm. e-bikes. That's an oh, interesting yeah. combination. Oh. They were beautiful. Prettiest paint jobs you could imagine on bicycles. The things you'll see, the creative levels of everybody's brains on their bikes. Just ridiculous. <laughs> our ride is more like a Sunday afternoon ride. We have bicycle lights on our bikes. We have LEDs and we have a free light giveaway on our ride to any children or anything like that. But here on a Sunday, things are kind of slow and a lot of restaurants are closed. So we don't really do like night rides as far as our particular ride. But we do ride every day in Detroit. It's some type of ride every single day. So Lit Riders, you got your start in Venice, which I know you know about also, Rio. That's the start of the lineage. Yeah, we all became friends there and started at the end of the ride going to meals together and hanging out together more and more. And let's meet up for the next ride and the next ride and going down to San Diego to Marissa's as well. And at the San Diego Electric Light Parade. And it started from there. We started hitting up all the rides together and it just became a natural thing after going to OBC and seeing everybody's patches. And we just went for it. <laughs> so there's a lot going on and there's a subculture and it's not all lit up bikes, right? Is that its own kind of community or is it just all mixed in? Uh, it's kind of mixed in as far as like, we're kind of really making a big impression on the scene, the night riding scene, at least. We have over 20 members in our club now, 
And more and more people are starting to put lights on their bikes and join us for these rides. But in the summertime, you can get hundreds of people that are starting to put lights on their bikes. Not of them as intricate, you could say, as ours. But I'd say like the beginner set of lights, like the ones that Sebastian sell in Venice, just getting your wheels lit up and things like that. But more and more people are actually doing that and getting their bikes lit to ride at nighttime. We're inspiring people to get out there and have a little more fun than they already were. (laughs) I got my wheels done in Venice by, it might've been Sebastian, $10 a wheel. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's our guy. (laughs) Good friend of ours. That was really cool. Lasted a while. But then it goes up from there. I guess the complexity of some of the systems. Yeah. So the lights that we use, they're addressable LEDs. They're the WS2812 addressable LEDs. And then they are powered with our USB battery banks. They're five volt strips and they run off of a Bluetooth controller that you can control off of an app. There's about 120 different patterns that you can choose from. So that's what we use for all of our bikes. To be part of the Lit Riders crew, you have to have the addressables. So we do require a certain type of lighting because we all like to match and look the same. And when we do parades, we can match our lights all together and run the same pattern. What is that like? From one end to the other, there's a consistent flow of light changes or how does that work? Right. So yeah, there's a bunch of different patterns. Each member have our own colors and our own patterns. When we do our holiday rides, like when we do Christmas parades and things like that, then we all select holiday colors together. So we're all kind of matching, but there's all kinds of sequences and patterns. Like I said, about 120 different patterns and color choices that you can choose from on the controllers that we use. So yeah, that's basically it. It's crazy. I mean, we put a lot of time into getting our bikes lit up and things like that, but that's pretty sweet. I've seen a few people rocking those. (laughs) So Rio, just for the listener here, is showing his backpack. You want to tell us about it? So I also sell bicycle lights nationally now, too. I just did the Big Easy Bike Fest in New Orleans. I'm, do, I'm going to DreamCon next week for an anime convention, and that's where I start converting and selling the bags. But much like Sebastian, much like Marissa, I start at a lower price and I up it depending on what kind of flexibility you want. I also do custom work, so very much like the Lit Riders, I run Bluetooth systems on 5 volts, very much like they do. Not to the level of capacity that they do, but if somebody wants that, it's just depending on what they're willing to pay for and I did Coop Day for Detroit two years in a row. I just been up and coming. And so Coop Day is a big bike kind of festival, right? In Detroit? Absolutely. It's our biggest festival in Detroit, hosted by GMOB, grown men on bikes, and grown ladies on wheels. And it's every year during Memorial Day weekend in Detroit, that's like our all-star game for bikes. So what's it like to be on a ride? And what's it like for people who are witnessing that? I'm sure you run into people who just don't know what they're seeing. It's like the first time you've ever seen fireworks. It's almost like you've seen a new color you've never seen before. It's so amazing. <laughs> so how I started riding, I just seen people with the LEDs going down during the slow roll era in Detroit. There were hundreds of them going down their bikes, and it just amazed me. So I used to go on Instagram and just look up different companies and look up different group rides. And I found the Venice Beat Light Parade on Instagram and I started watching them. And so it just made me even more inspired as a Detroiter because cycling's always been big here. But to see people other than Detroit, like, oh, okay, this isn't something that we just made up. 
this is the national subculture. Okay, let me get locked in with other cities and discover what they got going on. And the light parades in California are a huge inspiration to what we got going on in Detroit and seeing lit riders more specifically and just how clean they look. It's really got the nation on fire right now. As far as other people who install lights, if they're really watching how people like me are watching, I was telling my members, look, man, we need to end up on some light ones. Look, man, <laughs> they, they, <laughs> killed, they killed it right now, eh? And my bike is every bit as lit up as y'all's are, but not everybody here is like that. So we just saying somebody, you know, from Detroit as a president of the club, y'all doing y'all thing. Yeah, it's a good time riding out there. On our Hollywood Nights ride, we get a lot of crowds just out the edges of the sidewalk everywhere screaming. And it's almost like we're in some weird way famous when we're a bunch of nobodies. It's just what we look like. And they're there for a show and we're giving it. It's quite fun. It's amazing. I feel like light is like art. It's almost like paint. It's mm-hmm. like you putting on the tapestry or something. Like It's literally art when you people see that because they've never seen nothing like that before. And you putting your blood, sweat, and tears, potential burns from soldering, whatever it is, effort you're putting into your bicycle, it's hard. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. My newest bike that I just did, it was over 32 hours of work just going into getting my frame lit up. I had to go really over the top with this one because it's a new bike for me and I really wanted to be over the top with it. What did I use? About over 1,200 LEDs just for my frame. Yeah, it's crazy. It was amazing. I need no LED plug, man. I need to call you a private bro. I sold my bikes. The LEDs, they don't make them anymore. So I don't even bring them out no more. I don't want to risk them being right. hurt. I used to have lights here. They display images on the wheel. Oh, okay. And so past four or five years, a lot of celebrities died, especially in California. Nipsey Hussle, Kobe, Chadwick Boseman isn't from uh, California, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. A lot of prominent stars. And so I started doing memorials to them. I got a Nipsey Hussle memorial on my bike and I got addressable LEDs on the bike. I've done one of Kobe. I've done one of Chadwick Bowles. If I wanted to put, for example, lit riders and the wheels of the bike I'm talking about, it'd come out clear. So you can have images, you can have words for people who haven't seen this. You can have pictures, and images, logos, stuff like that. On my bike trailer, there's six of us in our crew. We have sound trailers. They're all connected through a FM transmitter. And so we have synchronized audio. And between all of us, we're almost at 10,000 watts of audio. So it gets pretty loud. But on my trailer, I have video screens too. So I've been running visual videos, has our logo spinning on it. The rides we're on, it has their logo spinning on it, promoting social medias and things like that. So having video screens really opened up to basically putting anything I want, any type of video I want to create and make, I can throw those on the screens and then people can see it on the rides. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's what I'm talking about. It's awesome. He's got a fun psychedelic moving background behind the spinning logo, too. It's just really funny. Like when we're on rides and people are riding next to him, you know how a moth will accidentally move towards the flame? People do that while they're watching the screens on their bikes while we're moving. It's so funny. And then they'll catch themselves real quick and have to pull back and be like, whoa. (laughs) It's great. That reminded me of the back of my trailer. I've never actually had to say this out loud. <laughs> the same screens that come with the book bag, not the exact ones, but it's the same technology, the same app. I put them on my bike trailer 
and I don't have a sound trailer, but it's like this what the trailer I sell my lights out of. Yeah. And I rigged me a slightly larger milk crate because it's flat and it's sturdy. And I put addressable LEDs all over it. And I put the screen on the back of it to match the tray. Yeah. So why it doesn't display full video, it displays anything that you can convert into a GIF file. Right. Mm. So we a few years behind y'all in Detroit. <laughs> You're still flexing. I'm just trying to up my creativity. You know what I'm saying? Trying to match what California is doing right now. Yeah, I was exploring with those LED panels too, but it was just hard getting like the resolution just right, you know, because there's just yeah. not quite there yet. So that's when I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do video screens. And <laughs> I was able to find cheap enough screens, like under a hundred bucks, found a couple at Best Buy. And we kind of rigged up a little system and mounted them to the trailer. So now that just opened up to basically any video. And I know how to do video editing and make my own videos and stuff. So I kind of just went from there and added about 30 more pounds to my trailer. But, you know. <laughs> and wind drag. Yeah. <laughs> Question. Do y'all use electric bicycles? So everybody in our club has e-bikes. My trailer is about 130 pounds-ish. That's why I had to step up and get a bigger e-bike with a bigger battery to be able to handle all our rides. So the new one I got has about a hundred mile range now. Okay. I, uh, I asked because I've been looking to upgrade mine. I just got one on Facebook Marketplace. It's pulling my little cart, but I got two batteries. So I just keep a battery in a trailer. And when I need to swap out, I just swap out. Right. Perfect. Okay. That's what I was doing with my old bike too. Mm-hmm. If you go for another round of purchasing, you want nothing less than seven fifty at this point. Oh yeah, far. definitely. Yeah, five hundreds are fun, but you still yeah. have to work. Right. <laughs> My new ones are two thousand water, so it's super, super powerful. Yeah, race, so race. I hit the throttle, and the thing wants to take off. It just wants to launch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy here named Maker. I don't know his real name, but we just call him Maker. But he's been making electric bicycles since the seventies. Oh wow. Um, that's and cool. so he comes on our rides every now and again, and he makes these big war chariot type bikes. It'll fit right in in California. I cannot wait to come out there to California fellowship with y'all. Awesome. I, You're welcome anytime. I've seen y'all did Jerry bike too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just did his wheels. I did his strips and spoke lights. Yeah. yeah. Good guy. Good guy. Who's that? Really? Jerry? From Detroit. Another one of our Bike Life brothers. He had a crew called Light Show Clip. Here. Light Show Clip. Yeah. yeah, we know them. Oh, great. So what other rides are there? We talked about Detroit. We talked about California. We talked about LA and San Diego. You mentioned Houston. Where are other examples of this? So there is the Riverside Electric Light Parade that we join in. That's the last Saturday of every month. Then we go see Marissa. She's the San Diego Electric Light Parade, which is the last Sunday of every month down in Mission Beach. And then there's also... Not just per se lit rides, but we join LA Critical Mass, which is the last Friday of every month, which is huge. Moonlight Mash. Um, Then Moonlight Mash in Long Beach, which is every full moon in Long Beach. Then, of course, we do daytime rides like Ciclovia and things like that. And then, of course, our Hollywood Nights ride, which is every second Saturday of the month. And you have different routes. Are you predictable? So our Hollywood ride is the same route every month. It's a 16-mile ride down Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset, all the way down to Beverly Hills, we make a couple stops at the Chinese Theater, the Beverly Hills Fountain. We go down Rodeo Drive, and then we come back up Santa Monica Boulevard through West Hollywood, and then back up Hollywood Boulevard, and we stop at the El Capitan for photos. So that's kind of our route, 16 miles 
And yeah, that's what I'm talking about. A lot of exposure. People, first they hear us because we're pretty loud. Yeah, you um, can hear us from like two blocks away. Yeah, and then they see us and then it's just everybody gets their cameras out. Phones out, everybody's recording us all the time. Yeah, it's cool. We have low rider cars start following us through the streets, filming us and doing their thing behind us or alongside us. We've had the Hollywood star trucks that drive around Mm -hmm. tour buses. They'll turn around on their tour and start following us. (laughs) It's pretty fun. Yeah. Good time. (laughs) Yeah, it's an electric bike ride today here in Detroit. The track, the electric bike ride. Hosted by Jason Hall. He helped make the slow run. And then there's another ride. I guess I would call it a lit ride called the zombie ride hosted by the EDR riders, everyday riders. And they're from California, actually. Detroit is so big landmass wise, it makes more sense for it to be two rides in the same day. Right. So I'm going to the electric ride today, but last week I went to the zombie ride. And all our rides here are lit. But people don't really cut their lights on until about nine, eight, nine o'clock. Sunset basically is when we light yeah. up. We, we don't bother to turn them on till then either. Yeah. Our communities and our cultures, as far as that goes, are very similar. We just don't call them light parade. But it's the same thing. Everything they said as far as sounds and just the culture of it and how people follow us and stuff like that's the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So they can find lit rides that you said Instagram and you have a website. Instagram, litriders.com. Our monthly schedule is always on our litriders.com and our Facebook events page. So you can always find out where we're going to be riding. We usually ride every Saturday of the month. And sometimes we do impromptu Sunday rides as well in different random locations. But yeah, for all our ride information every month, you can check out either our social medias, TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook. And Rio? Okay, so you can follow my company Facebook page and Instagram at RKMobile313. And the website is RKMobile313.com, R-K-M-O-B-I-L-E-313.com. And our club Instagram is M-T-B-Z underscore B-C. Say it one more time, M-T-B-Z underscore B-C. I run the page, so Lit Riders, I'm going to follow y'all in a second. Awesome. Lit Riders with a Z, L-I-T-R-I-D-E-R-Z. Oh, yeah, it's right behind you. (laughs) (laughs) Lit Riders, I'm so excited to meet y'all. It really was a pleasure. It really was a blessing, man. Thanks so much for letting me on the show. For sure. It's going to be a good time. Can't wait to ride together. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, take care, everyone. Thanks for coming on Bike Talk. All right. Thanks Thanks for having us. Well, that sounds like a blast to me. I got to get some lights for my bike and join one of those rides. I want them to close the street so I can do it. Well, you know, you can go down to Venice for the electric bike parade there. That's Venice Beach. When Rio sends me lights, I'll go. (laughs) Rio sent me lights. I know. I'll tell you all about it. And another great episode in the can. Well done, everybody. Before we go, some closing thoughts on transportation from Bill Nye the science guy, in 1995. One person, one car, where does it get you? Well, it doesn't get you anywhere fast. Look, everybody's stuck in traffic. 
almost every one of these cars has just one person in it. One person in it. Two tons of steel rolling down the road. Four wheels, two tons of metal just to move one person around. A bus can carry a lot more people than a car, using a lot less energy per person. And it takes up a lot less room on the road. Or subway trains. We can carry a lot more people in here than you can in a car. See, cars get you from one place to another exactly when you want to go there, as long as there's no traffic jam. But using cars carries a big price. Ten lanes of freeway traffic. One person in almost every vehicle. This is not an efficient use of a transportation pathway. It's loud. I can hardly hear myself think out here. And the air is terrible. It's polluted. We're supposed to be the smartest, most sophisticated society on the planet. And yet this is how we choose to get around. We've got to think this through. We've got to come up with better ideas. We've got to think this through. You see one bicycle? What? No. There's too few people in each car. If we had buses, or we carpooled, we could quintuple, we could duodecatuple the number of people on this pathway. But instead, it's a mess. Oh, it's a mess. That was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Bye.